0: Ivka I'm so happy you're here. Welcome to Exit Strategy.
1: Thank you so much, Stephanie. It is an honor to be here today.
0: You are a licensed clinical social worker and you serve as the Director of Jewish Community Services at the Jewish Board. You are truly passionate about bringing mental health awareness and quality clinical services to the Jewish community. We have a long bio about you that will be attached to our show notes. So we will be sure to make sure that everybody knows exactly who you are. But I really want to jump into our conversation, which is all about grief. Grief. It's a subject that we revisit very often here on Exit Strategy because it's so present for so many people. And that really helps us to understand it and deal with it just a little bit better. So usually, we frame grief in the context of a specific illness or death. But I have a feeling you're going to tell me that grief can be sourced in any manner of loss. So talk about that a little bit, if you would.
1: Grief lies at the heart of the human experience. Throughout our lives, we experience many transitions and changes and losses. And that can be an illness, it can be death, it can be loss of a job, a separation, it can be relocation, it can be financial loss, it can be trauma. Grief is the natural reaction to losing someone or something that meant something to you. You can also look at loss and grief with a big G or a little g, right? There's all different types of losses and different ways in which we experience grief, but it is important to know that grief is a natural and normal reaction that can be experienced in different layers and levels and extremes. The larger the G in grief, the more disconnected you're going to feel from yourself and the world in response to a big experience. And the way I like to think about grief, the best metaphor that I've heard was by Dr. Alan Wolfett, who is a grief expert. And he shared that grief is like finding yourself in the middle of a large wilderness. You don't know how you got there, but it is wild. It is dark. It is scary. Trail markers aren't clear. You don't know your way. And for whatever that means for you, In whatever the circumstance, that is grief. It is, how did I get here? I don't know my way out. I don't feel equipped to handle what is in front of me. And that can be with any type of life transition or loss.
0: Wow. That imagery is so powerful and it's so real. I can see myself in that spot and how that must actually feel. When I was in college, I took a course on death and dying. Talk about foreshadowing. Who knew I was going to end up doing what I do? But I did. I took this course on death and dying. And of course, what did they talk about? They talked about five stages of grief. Is that information still relevant, accurate today, or have we evolved from that place?
1: So it's so funny that you say that, because when I was in graduate school, I also took a class called Death and Dying, and I (laughs) was given Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's book on death and dying, which was her landmark book in 1969, where it's important to note that she was the first one to start the conversation about loss and about grief. Now, death and dying was from the perspective of individuals facing terminal illness and their perspective about an impending death. So, the original five stages of grief that Kubler-Ross spoke about were actually not in response to death. It wasn't about grief and loss. It was really in preparation for people who are looking at death in the face. This model was adapted to grief and loss in conjunction with David Kessler, who was another renowned grief expert, where he worked to adapt these five stages of grief. Now, it's very important to note that it's talked about, there's controversy, there's a lot of people who say it is absolutely not correct, not helpful. Kubler-Ross and David Kessler have both said, this was never meant to be rigid, linear. I happen to struggle with the word stages because stages sort of connote a process, that there might be a beginning, a middle and an end, And that's where I would sort of shift away from the word stages. However, if we wanna talk about what those stages are, they are highlighting some expected normal experiences that one may find on the grief journey. So I think it's important not to discount that prior to Kubler-Ross's five stages of grief, there was no language. People experienced this wilderness alone without a context, without words to say, This is what you're experiencing. This is normal. So when she talks about denial, which is the first stage, that is the experience of being shocked, numb. It is an extremely protective reaction to the initial stages of having endured a loss. When we talk about anger, anger is a really important feeling that oftentimes our society doesn't give us permission to feel, but it is the first tangible steps of us actually connecting to something that feels either so painful, so unfair, so incomprehensible. Bargaining, bargaining is the what ifs, the if onlys, it's the guilt. So depression, our ability to withdraw, to go into ourselves, to really connect to the depth of the pain, And acceptance, which is really important to know that that doesn't mean that we are okay or that we are okay with what happened, but we are finding a way to accept the reality of the loss. So I do think that these five stages I would use as a framework, but Stephanie, I wanna share that there are more helpful uses or there's more helpful language that I like to use and that I've also learned from experts in the field, Alan Wolfett, in his book, Understanding Your Grief, he talks and uses the language touchstones. So if we go back to the wilderness example for a moment, if you don't know where you are, what will help you? Well, you look around for landmarks. You look around for trailheads, right? When, if you've ever gone hiking and you see a trailhead after you've been wandering for a while, you say, oh, it's that direction. So when people are going through the wilderness of grief, What is really helpful is to say, these are landmarks. This is what's expected. This is what you should know to expect on your journey. This is how you prepare yourself, not that you're going to go from one stage to the next stage to the next stage. It is giving people the knowledge to know that their unique grief is unique to them. Their experience is going to be unique. There are a lot of misconceptions that our society holds about grief. Giving individuals the understanding of what to expect, what are their needs during this process, how it's going to wax and wane and flow. That's what the journey looks like. And I think that it is so depathologizing, it is so normative, and it really gives people not only language, but permission and direction.
0: And I think that's a great point to really let people know. It's normal. I have a little bit of a two-parter question here because I really believe they're related. Question one is, how long should grief last? And is there a best time or signal that any of us in grief should be really seeking more help, professional help, or clinical intervention? Where's the line there? How do we know?
1: So before I answer that question, I'm wondering if I can just jump back on the word normal, because I want to be very careful about that. So I did say that grief is a normal reaction, but I do not believe that there is a not normal way to grieve. Grief is natural. Grief is an innate internal experience to loss. I also wanna talk about mourning, and I think it's an important word to introduce because then we can talk about length of time, what to expect, and when might there be times that you're gonna need some help. So while grief is an internal experience, and it is natural, mourning is an external expression of that grief, and it requires intention. It requires expression, it requires witnessing, it requires an other to see, and support you through that process. And in mourning, there can be things that are more helpful and less helpful to do. So while I stay away, I try to be sensitive to the word normal because then people want to figure out, well, if this is normal, then is it possible that I'm not normal? And the most important thing for everyone to know is that the way you feel is natural and it is yours, and there is no right or wrong way. Mourning, is something that we actively do to aid us in the grieving process. That grief needs the attention and the expression and the storytelling and our ability to be able to give and receive love to the story of our grief. So I just wanted to share that because when we talk about grief lasting, I don't believe that grief ever goes away. However, the mourning period, maybe a certain episode of time.
0: So helpful and so important. I'm thrilled that you actually stated that because I think there's confusion there and Mm -hmm. people really don't understand one from the other. And there is, in fact, clearly from what you've said, a way to separate it. So that's really helpful.
1: One of the most powerful things I've heard David Kessler say in response to how long should grief last? He says, well, how long will the person be dead? That's how long your grief will be. Wow. Grief is an expression of what we've lost. It is an expression of the love that we have had for a person or for a thing or for an experience. Why should that ever go away? Our pain and our suffering do not have to stay forever. The pain around the circumstances do not have to last, but the memory and the relationship, that is what grief is. And for anyone that has experienced loss, I really think they're going to resonate with this idea that that never goes away. Our ability to heal, our ability to metabolize and integrate that grief into our life, that's what we can expect, that some of these stages, some of these emotions, some of these experiences, that we should shift. And I will say to try to answer your question, there is no clear timeline. And it's very important that anybody who is actively grieving or if you are in relationship to someone who's grieving is that there is no timeline and setting any type of timeline is not helpful. We, we live in a culture that is very uncomfortable with being uncomfortable. They're very avoidant of grief. And that's really a Western culture thing. You know, the permission of why why does it need a timeline? Why are we supposed to give uh, the deadline to say, okay, by this date, I should be over. You never get over. We will hopefully talk a little bit about uh, soon when are times that we should be concerned or what are obstacles that interfere with the grieving process that make us stuck. And that's an important difference.
0: Yeah, I wanna talk about those barriers. What are they? What makes us stall in the process when it comes to grieving? What happens there?
1: There are a lot of circumstances to consider that can potentially stall someone in the process or contribute to the process being more complicated. So some things you want to think about are, what was the nature of the relationship to the person that passed away or to the circumstance? What were the circumstances of the death? What is the quality of your support system? Do you have other stressors in your life that you actively have to contend with? What are your previous experiences of loss? As we said, life is a series of experiences of loss because we live. Oftentimes, when one is grieving, they also have a history of prior losses and what your experience with those losses are, the nature of those losses, and how you have dealt with them, they will also come to play in your current experience of grief. What are your current physical symptoms? What other mental health symptoms might you have? What access do you have to rituals? Whether that be funerals, Shiva, other types of spiritual rituals and commemorations and experiences which we know during the pandemic became very difficult for individuals to access But for a lot of individuals may also not have the resources to have those rituals as a part of their lives. And I want to highlight that there are more complicated factors that contribute to what we will call complicated grief. And I want to separate the two.
0: Yes. And I want to talk about complicated grief, but I just want to highlight that everything you just talked about, physical issues, past issues with death, all the things you just listed. It shows you how all of these silos come together to really affect one's process as they go through grief. That's pretty remarkable. I don't think we think about that at all. Because when we grieve, we don't
1: just grieve in our hearts. We grieve emotionally, we grieve cognitively, we grieve physically, we grieve spiritually, we grieve socially it is a holistic experience to grieve and therefore a holistic way that we need to engage in healing. But I think that what you're saying is that all those pieces that I touched upon, they are the different spheres that show up when we're grieving and can be a source of complication.
0: For sure, so moving on to that, yes, complicated grief, prolonged grief, Those are terms that we hear. I don't think people really understand what they mean. So what should we know about those extremes?
1: This is a tremendous topic, and I'm gonna try to break it down into (laughs) bite-sized pieces. I think it's important when we talk about complicated grief that it's really complicated conditions that impact natural grieving. Remember, grieving is a natural response. There's nothing complicated about your grief and you are not complex or complicated. It is a natural response to a not natural set of distressing or complicated circumstances. So it's a complicated set of conditions and I'll give you some examples. When we experience a death that is violent or premature, if there is a history of abuse or addiction in the relationship with the person that we lost or to the loss, if there is a major life stressor that is coming alongside this loss, if there is a trauma that is experienced in the context of this loss, then oftentimes the trauma symptoms, which are a natural response to a very frightening and threatening situation, they interfere It's like a roadblock. You're wandering through the wilderness and all of a sudden you see this huge boulder that fell down and is blocking your way, right? The way is still there. It's just that there's something else that's really big that came in response to a set of circumstances. It's important to mention disenfranchised grief, which is a big word just to say that disenfranchised grief is when our culture, community, society does not condone does not give credence to the nature of the loss and thereby almost doesn't give permission to the individual to mourn. So remember grieving is internal, but in order to heal, we need to externally express that through mourning and in disenfranchised grief, where for example, it can be in the type of relationship we have, whether that is an ex-spouse grieving a miscarriage, grieving a non-blood relative, Maybe grieving the death of a suicide, an overdose, an abortion, right? Whatever our society in the moment deems that that identity or that situation doesn't get permission that really interferes with someone's ability to grieve. And then the last piece, which is a a larger topic in and of itself, is ambiguous loss, which is a concept in and of itself that was coined by Dr. Pauline Boss, And it really describes when you are grieving someone who is still alive and that there is ambiguity around the loss that interferes with your ability to engage in what are some of the touchstones or the guiding principles that help people with other losses grieve. And when we're talking about grieving someone who is still alive, that can be an example of somebody who is physically present, but psychologically absent whether it is that someone we love has dementia, an addiction, a traumatic brain injury, or they can be psychologically present and physically absent, whether that is adoption, incarceration, military deployment, estrangement. So these are some examples where the individual due to the circumstances feels stuck Also, uh, one last element of this is that they are in more heightened levels of despair and it is usually accompanied by some type of functional impairment. And so to put those together, it is the circumstances that contribute to a more complicated experience that block the natural path to grieving and that experientially the individual is stuck And is noticing that their either their symptoms are heightened and their ability to function is much more significantly impaired.
0: I want to ask you about absent grief. I've heard this expression as well. And where does that fit in as a real phenomenon? And also about the failure to properly grieve a loss. What can that mean for our emotional and physical well-being? Because As you said at the beginning, if we don't address certain things that have happened before, it just snowballs and it affects Mm -hmm. us greatly as life goes on.
1: So absent grief is also a large word and it's important (laughs) to acknowledge that people are individual and unique and are not going to fit into all these categories. But to put more simply, absent grief is where one is not experiencing the symptoms of grief. Either it is that they have not been able to embark on the grief journey, or that they are stalled in the numb stage. So absent just means that they are not able to move through the journey of grief in a way that is helpful, healing, and oftentimes absent connotes the word that there is something missing. there's a lack of presence of symptoms that we would normally experience, whether that is distress, sadness, anger, anxiety, tears. It also, Stephanie, may be that absent grief is where we're not seeing the external expression of mourning. And so people may be judged by saying you are absent in your grief, where that actually may not be true. It is important to also acknowledge that absent grief is not the only, other type of challenge in the grieving process, which we're gonna call unembarked. It's like you're at the start of the trailhead and you never get started. You don't know where to go. And it's possible at the beginning, that might be very protective. Acute reactions to a difficult circumstance is probably the best way that an individual is figuring out how to manage. So it's important to know that in an acute level, this is very normal. It's when it persists. It's when someone, as you said, what happens if we just sort of continue through our lives and we've never engaged in grieving? But I just want to also acknowledge that we do have times where people go off the trail. So they're grieving, but then their grieving unintentionally takes a side turn where they may be displacing a lot of emotions that really are coming from grief and they displace it on a person, a situation. It is also we find that someone may engage in addictive behavior, whether that is through work, that may be through eating, it may be through shopping, it may be through substances as an effort to distract. But after an acute period of time, we've just gone off the trail um, it could be that someone goes traveling a lot, right, throws themselves into a new relationship. So that's another form of, it's not absent grief, but it's going off the trail. And the last one that Alan Wolfett talks about is encamped grief, where imagine that you find yourself in the wilderness, you get to a spot and you set up camp. You take out your tent, you take out your bags, you take out your supplies and you put up your flag and you say, this is where I live. Grief is no longer a journey that I take, but it's the place where I live. It's now my identity, and my identity is about what I have lost, how I have lost it. And to circle back to your question of, so how does this affect us? It is because in whichever way we find ourselves struggling to go through this grieving process, we're carrying the grief with us. So even if the person is not Visibly or internally experiencing symptoms, or they're fully distracting, or they've encamped, or it's complicated. If we are not going through the grief, if we are not feeling it, if we are not moving forward, it's as if you, everywhere you go, you have a row or a, a train of bags that you take with you. It's not just that you have a heavy knapsack. So it's imagine you come to the office and you say, I'm here for the day. And then you bring three suitcases. It interferes with the way that we think about life. It's the way we engage in our relationships. It's the way that we're making decisions in our future. And oftentimes what's most tricky is that we don't realize, right? We can have a lot of physical symptoms and it's not like you could go to the doctor and they say, oh, well, that that problem is because you have not worked through grief or you have not felt your grief right or oh you constantly are experiencing problems in your job but it's just knowing that we don't have to walk around with so much luggage
0: when somebody dies it's complicated there's paperwork to do there are things to take care of and the ability to grieve is not a luxury at that moment and i think that makes it even more complicated I'll say that our
1: human organism is brilliant. It really is so smart innately. And you're correct, Stephanie, the beginning weeks and sometimes months after a loss, there are so many secondary losses and things that individuals have to deal with. And depending on your circumstances, it may be a lot. And you know what? We cannot experience the full range of emotions that come along with that loss that's actually very healthy and protective. So I want to clarify that when someone is numb, that's the first stage, right? If we want to go back to stages, right? That that is very normal because our body is saying, we can't. I can't go through with managing the funeral arrangements and the house and all of the paperwork and the financial complexities. I need to be able to handle that. And then I will be able to feel So that numbing is protective to its armor that helps us go through those beginning days and weeks and months. However, where the obstacle is, is if we forget that that's temporary padding, Hmm. (laughs) that almost that outside structure that was there, it's like bubble wrap that you're trying to protect something in transit that's so precious, but then you actually forget that the precious thing is inside and you believe that the object is full of this big, thick bubble wrap.
0: So I know this is a very simple minded question, but what can I say I'm going to ask it? When are we healed from grief? When are we better?
1: As a psychotherapist, the question of what is healing and how do I know when I'm healed is a question that every person in their personal journey asks no matter what type of loss or pain. As you said, we're all experiencing pain and loss in different ways throughout our lives and people want to know, when am I healed? How do I know? I love the word, but it's important that we make a few very important distinctions and clarifications. First of all, I like to use it as an action verb, healing, not healed. It is not a destination. It is a process and it is one that we may be on for our entire lives, but it is a beautiful, enriching and meaningful process. That's number one. It is also important to differentiate healing from a medical model. Grief is not a disease and it is not something that will be cured. So healing in more of a clinical perspective does not mean curing or remedying. It may mean reconciling. What I look at in The Pursuit of Healing is the mission to become whole again. To find a way to integrate your grief, your loss, back into yourself. To learn how to continue your changed life with more fullness and meaningfulness. And a lot of people believe that if I heal this big blob of grief that consumes my world is going to shrink. That is not correct. Healing means that I find a way to expand and grow around my grief, that I have incorporated it, that I have grown fuller and larger, that in some ways I take the broken pieces of my heart and I intentionally stitch it back together. Now, when you stitch something back together, wounds, they heal, but they have scars. There are seams, and along those seams, it can always twinge and hurt and be in pain. And yet, you still have a way to engage wholeheartedly and fully. And if it's okay, Stephanie, I'd like to read something very brief for you, written by Anne Lamott.
0: Oh. You can read anything by Anne Lamott. That's fine with me, sure.
1: She describes what I'm talking about so beautifully. She says, you will lose someone you can't live without and your heart will be badly broken. And the bad news is that you will never completely get over the loss of your beloved. But this is also the good news. They live forever in your broken heart that doesn't seal back up and you come through. It's like having a broken leg that never heals perfectly. That still hurts when the weather gets cold, but you learn to dance with the limp. Mm, Love that. That is healing. It is living with a both and perspective. I can hurt and I can still enjoy and live. I can mourn. And I can have new experiences and I can find love. And it is about the both and, and it is about being able to say, I am no longer in pain around the circumstances of that loss, but that I am grieving and holding the memory and the love that should never leave. That is
0: healing. Thank you for reading that and for putting it into such a beautiful context for us before we run out of time i want to talk about grief counseling i receive so many calls for bereavement support groups for grief counselors it's something i hear about almost daily and i want to talk about in a professional context both from the individual and the group type of settings Why would somebody be recommended to one versus the other? Or is that really personal decision making?
1: So when we talk about grief counseling, if we go back to what does grief need to heal, it needs expression, it needs witnessing, and it needs community. And so when we talk about grief counseling, those are platforms where there is a community. Well, if we talk about grief groups, for example, let's start with that. So in grief groups, you have a community of fellow travelers who in a safe, non-threatening way can hold space to witness your grief. It is not about telling you what to do. It is not about fixing or healing. It is not treatment. It is professionally led often, not always, but often the model is that a grief support group will start out professionally led. because. There is psychoeducation around what is the process of grief, helping someone in the journey learn the landscape, know what to expect, know what the mourner's bill of rights is, right? A lot of people, (laughs) we get thrown in and we don't know what this is. We don't know how, how to experience it. So definitely a professional can offer skills to nurture yourself through the process, to give the space and containment and hold the pain and the hurt, but the power of a support group is in the community. And oftentimes, Stephanie, even though, and or even if an individual has a wonderful support system, sometimes an individual needs to talk over and over and over about their grief. And it may be that they feel they've either topped out, they're worried that they are a burden to the people around them. Others may not have the time the patience, the capacity, but members of a grief community, of a healing community always have the space and the time because they understand. And so the power also is that then these fellow travelers, when the support group may end on a professional level, can journey together. And I have found so many people who have made lifelong friends from being in a support group because of the depth of the understanding um, and the experience. And that for a lot of people, depending on the nature of the loss, they have lost the most significant person in their lives and they are alone. And so to have another person or people who become part of your extended family is powerful beyond words.
0: Somebody who is in grief and the people that surround them, you've got friends and family members, you've got work colleagues, Is there advice for how they should be interacting with somebody who's grieving? And more importantly, what shouldn't they be doing?
1: If someone in your life is grieving, something helpful to know is that you need to be a presence to their loss. It's not about what you can do for them. It is about you having the ability to be there. One of the definitions of grief is bearing a heavy burden. And if you are being a companion to someone who is grieving, just think about it as saying, I'm here to help you carry the load. That is tremendous. It isn't about the right words to say. It is about listening, not prescribing a timeline for how you have to grieve, staying away from the words, normal, expected, stages, no shoulds. No trying to prescribe meaning to the loss or trying to explain the loss, trying to fix the situation. Do not give advice. Allow the person who is grieving to show you where they are in this process, knowing again that it is unique for them there is no right or wrong way and giving them the permission to show you how you can be there for them sometimes it feels so uncomfortable it feels scary it feels hard and a lot of times the people in a person's life who are hurting they really want to do right they want to be helpful and just knowing that your companionship that you're sharing the load and holding it and also just just knowing and i'm hoping from this conversation to know that grief It's a good thing. It is demonstrating, it's an expression of your love. It's an expression of feelings and that that mourning is one of the most healthy things we can do and I think that again, just knowing that we live in a culture that's so uncomfortable with this, but that being there and giving people the permission to feel, that is the vehicle for healing. I do wanna highlight though because I think there's something important that I might not have mentioned and I think you touched on it. And I just wanna say that if either you who are experiencing a loss, or you are witnessing someone who has experienced a loss, and you are finding that they are suffering very intensely, where they may have suicidal ideation, they may be engaging in self-harm, they may be generalizing the pain of the loss away from just the loss to everybody, everything, always that those are signs that you may need more professional intervention and therapeutic care in addition to grief support. And it's important to know that those are the extremes where if you are experiencing a state of internal crisis, it is important to seek help.
0: The Jewish board, much like Plaza, we now have a couple of bereavement support groups, uh, but the Jewish board which is a pillar of the community for sure, and a a true public service, I believe can really give a sense of comfort to many people in the community with all the services that you offer. So if you want to touch on those, that would be great, just so our listeners have another resource at hand, and we'll be sure to put these in the show notes as well.
1: Through Jewish Community Services at the Jewish Board, we offer both short-term individual and group bereavement support. The individual bereavement counseling is really to help individuals that either are stuck in a particular nuanced experience of their grief, or they're grappling with a lot of the secondary losses that Stephanie, you described. At the very beginning of a loss, an individual may not be ready to go into a a group support. They have too many things going on. They may be feeling too raw. And so individual support with a specialized grief counselor, all of our therapists are licensed social workers and are very experienced in all the aspects of grief, which we talked about today. They can help and assist individuals who maybe have a trauma that is coming alongside their grief. The grief is more complicated and or there are nuanced aspects that they need to handle in order to be ready to go into a support group. We have many concurrent bereavement support groups that run on an ongoing basis. So individuals can contact us. I will give you our contact information shortly. And we will form groups based on age of the individuals and the nature of the loss. So when we create communities, our communities are as specific as we possibly can get so that individuals are able to really connect with the shared nature of the loss that they have. Our bereavement support groups are 12 weeks being led by a professional, where we give as many skills and resources and support and containment for that community, and then we offer that group to journey out in a peer-led model We also will provide linkages for individuals that need longer-term psychotherapy, as I had mentioned, whether there are concurrent mental health conditions that are really interfering, very significant trauma, or someone who might need psychiatric medication. The Jewish Board has many outpatient mental health clinics across the five boroughs, and we will handhold and link directly to one of our clinics and make that a very smooth process. So if anybody wants to access any type of bereavement support, I do know that the information is on the Plaza Jewish website. They can reach out to us via the email bereavementsupport at jbfcs.org. Our number is 212 632 4608. And they also can find information on the Jewish Board's website, jewishboard.org.
0: Beautiful Rivka. The imagery that you shared today, the language that you shared, I know for a fact will make a difference to so many people. I thank you so much for your time, for the work that you do. I do believe we're all in sacred partnership doing this type of work. It was a real pleasure being in conversation with you today.
1: Thank you so much, Stephanie. I appreciate our partnership and for giving me the opportunity to be in conversation with you today.
0: As the host of exit strategy i thank you for tuning in to what i hope was an informative and illuminating conversation about this end of life issue i urge you to visit our show notes and there's an email listed there so if you have any questions send them my way in the meantime please share this episode with anyone you know who may be interested and subscribe to exit strategy wherever you listen to your podcasts each month We'll renew our conversation with another topic, and I'm really happy you're along for the ride. I'm Stephanie Gary, and this is Exit Strategy.